So having the brain on top of the machine, like the LLM and the LMM, large multimodal model, are absolutely acting like a large brain on multiple machines. Like it's not just one machine. But on top of that, the ability, not just for the LMM and the LLM to be able to do the translation, but also do reasoning on that translation. And furthermore, the ability to orchestrate that reasoning across a set of plugins, either through semantic kernel or through LangChain. Welcome to The Future Of, a podcast by Fresh Consulting, where we discuss and learn about the future of different industries, markets, and technology verticals. Together, we'll chat with leaders and experts in the field and discuss how we can shape the future human experience. I'm your host, Jeff Dance. In this episode of The Future Of, we're joined by Microsoft's robotic expert, Dan Rosenstein a group product manager of advanced autonomy and applied robotics. He's here with us today to explore the future of generative AI in robotics. So grateful to have you. I'm super happy to be here, Jeff. Um, when, when, when you asked uh, for, for me to be on the podcast a few weeks ago, um, I actually didn't even know about the podcast and started listening to it, and now it's in my, in my regular rotation. So I get, <laughs> I get to hear your voice every, every few weeks, which is awesome. Great to hear that. Um, you know, I was so impressed uh, in looking over your, your background. You've been at Microsoft for over 25 years. Uh, you have a, you know, comp sci degree uh, from Washington University. You later got a, a master's um, from UW in engineering and, and with a focus on robotics. Um, but tell us more about your journey. You know, you've been at uh, Microsoft for so long. You've probably seen so much evolution, so much change. Tell us, uh, tell us more about your background. Also, how you got involved deeper in robotics as a leader there. Yeah, no, th uh, thank you for that, Jeff. Um, so, you know, my, my, my journey starts with everybody. Like when I was a little kid and and had first impressions. Um, you know, I, I've been in love with robots since I was a little kid. I happen to be the, the son of an engineer, um, you know, for better or for worse. And so uh, my dad is an aerospace engineer, or was an aerospace engineer, I should say, and did software oh. companies growing up. So I've been around technology my entire life. Um, and, you know, when, when I went to uh, undergrad, I went for electrical and mechanical because I wanted to do robots and then ended up switching to computer science because I couldn't take uh, electrical and mechanical classes my, my freshman year. Um, yep. Ended up loving computer science, although I vowed I didn't want to do it because my dad was in software. Didn't think I'd be at Microsoft for more than a year. And as you as you noted, it's been 25 years for me. <laughs> um, I'm an engineer's engineer. Um, I, I I I know that. Like you know, I I like leadership. It's 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 great. I I you know I've I've managed multiple times in my career, um, but I, I I really like being hands on with the technology. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm I'm a dreamer. I'm a thinker. Um, I'm a doer as well. I like to make stuff. I like to build stuff with my hands. Um, you know, what I what I think about um, is not always what I'm able to create. And then I heard that the Xbox project was happening, and you know, got got my way onto that project. And my big my give, my big claim to fame is I was the youngest engineer, full time engineer on the original Xbox and Xbox Live. Wow. Um, I you know parlayed off of Xbox and Xbox Live um, to. Uh, to more media work. And then basically every job that I had since then got me one step closer to robotics in one way or another. I worked on face detection in photos. I worked on, you know, um, a photo deduplication de in our photos platform in Windows so that, you know, that was all a the application of AI technology at the time. Um, and at the same time, I got active with uh, FIRST for inspiration and recognition of science and technology. Um, I ended up being a board member, as, as, as you had noted. Um, there, I ended up being control systems inspector and a robot inspector um, at the state level, um, and then uh, you know uh, 
I parlayed a lot of that work into partner applications and experiences work, which is the team that I was on. I worked on the IoT team for a number of years, uh, ran the Maker team, which was how we brought Maker technologies from Microsoft to the Maker community. Mm. Um, you know, along with Intel and a number of other other partners. I worked with you know with with uh, Massimo Bonzi from uh, Arduino and. Uh, Eben Upton from the Raspberry Pi Foundation and worked on Azure Edge devices. I worked on Azure Percept. I was lucky enough to be the group product manager there, um, where I got even further deeper into the IoT uh, well. Um, and as that project came to public preview, you know, my, my boss came to my office and said, hey, you wanted to work on robots your entire career. I love it. No, thank you for that background. Also, you know, to hear about uh, the Percept side with computer vision, the IoT side, you know, the AI side. Your journey with a you know mechanical uh, mechanical engineering electrical engineering through education through through interest and uh, and then all the the years you know decades now of uh, of computer science experience you know I can see why that's all converges into being a robotics leader uh, today. Thank the, you also the, for go ahead. Yeah, the, the the one other thing, Jeff, um, is as as I did that first work, I'm I'm also a head coach at a at a high school um, yeah. for for a team as well, and so. Um, it's you know outside of work and inside of work like my my hobby is control systems like that, yeah. that's what I love. Uh, I was going to say thank you for volunteering with with first you know helping helping other kids you know develop the, this passion and 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 grow their robotics interest that that's awesome. One more uh, question before we kind of dive into the topic at hand. Um, I heard that you're working on a DeLorean. Uh, tell tell me more about this. Yeah. So, are we, are we going um, back to the future, or what's going on? I, I, I mean, it, it, it is going through an electrical conversion, so I am following Doc Brown's uh, plans. Um, so, uh, I've had a DeLorean since 2000. Um, you know, I've always wanted a DeLorean. I, I talked about you know how how uh, pop culture influenced me for robotics. Um, a lot of a lot of my personality, a lot of the, the way I talk, the way I act, um, is actually influenced by Back to the Future. Um, I absolutely love that movie for every reason that people love that movie. I mean, one of them is the DeLorean, and I had said that, you know, when I get older, I wanted a DeLorean. So um, the uh, back in 2015, I had the decision, you know, I made the decision that I wanted to convert the car to electric. So what what better way to do that than pull the engine out, because that forces the project. Um, I tr came up with multiple different designs between 2015 and 2019. None of them worked, and none of them were going to be successful. Um, and, you know, like I, I say that, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a weird duck in that way that control systems really is my hobby. Like yeah. I work on my car outside of work. I work on pinball machines outside of work. I, you know, my, my girls had a, um, uh, had a, uh, had a shelf where when they were younger, if one of their toys would break, they put their toy on the shelf and the next day it would just magically be fixed. So there's no plutonium involved? There's so far, there's no plutonium, but okay. there, right. there, there will be, there will be a little bit less than 1.21 gigawatts. Um, and I, 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 I do want to get, yeah, it's, 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 it's a great project. It keeps, you know, for the times that I'm not hands-on at work, it keeps me hands-on and grounded at home. So nice. Nice. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. Let's start with why, um, you know, I was talking to some of the Microsoft team at a recent Northwest Robotics Alliance event, and, uh, they, they were saying they did a massive pivot, you know, a year or so ago due to generative AI. Um, AI is not new to robotics, but why is generative AI a big deal for robotics now? Yeah, so generative AI um, really creates this, let's call it a universal translator. Um, you know, generative AI at the end of the day, and I'm not trying to discount it, like it's an extremely powerful technology, it's really predictive text, it's, it's text prediction. 
Um, but the power of that is, you know, text prediction, or language is text prediction. And the the way that language is built, it's it's all about like words have meaning, strings of words have meaning, sentences have meaning. And the ability to do prediction on text, well, when you're not only talking about English text, but you're also talking about other languages, but then also computer code, when you're talking about data structures, when you're talking about data formats, like JSON formats, as, a, as, as an example, um, the ability to predict that text in that context is actually pretty powerful. And because of that, being able to both generate but also extract semantics from the syntax becomes extremely capable. Um, and we've seen this, you know, with 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 GPT uh, two, GPT three, GPT four, other models as well. Um, and you know, ChatGPT four just being the most, or GPT four being just the most uh, uh, recent version of it. Um, and so, what that's created is this ability to have, you know, for lack of a better term, a universal translator. And that universal translator can go from code to code. It can go from language to code. It can go from data structures to language. Um, and, and any permutation in between. So the ability to do translation of human to human conversation, the ability to do translation of machine to human conversation, and the ability to do machine to machine uh, 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 conversation um, has now been very much unlocked. And we're at the very early stages of that. Thanks for the explanation. As we think about generative AI, you know, underneath, underneath uh, the neural net is these LLMs. Uh, and and we taught, we, we've been learning more about the, you know, the library of knowledge that's underneath. But as I understand it, with generative AI, we have sort of the, the visual library and we're using video as well. Um, and so we have this another aspect of these large models. Why is that a big deal for robotics? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a big deal for, for, for a couple reasons. The first one is the what I would consider the most obvious, which is we as humans perceive the world and, and animals as well um, perceive the world through vision. It's one of our it's one of our major sensory inputs, and the ability to have the combination between syntactical and semantic structure with language, with grammar, with words, with code, with data structures, as we talked about before, and then being able to augment that and or enhance that with the perception of the physical world, part of like what makes a robot a robot? What makes a robot a robot is A, that it can sense, and B, that it can think, and C, that it can act into the physical environment. Mm -hmm. You don't want to act into the physical environment without knowing what's going on in the physical environment. You need to be able to sense and think in order to be able to do that. And so the ability to bring vision and the ability to bring um, video analysis, which is, a, you know, it's moving vision really what, uh, at, at, at the end of it, but also bring others, uh, 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 other data streams into the large language models. What it does is it creates context uh, translation, um, con you know, uh, awareness between different domains. Um, let, let, let me give a, 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 a quick example. Um, when I first started playing and, and you know, when, when, when uh, LLM started to show up, you know, I, like everybody else, went and just tried them out, okay? And I'm not one to jump on a technology fad. Um, you know, I, I, the technology fads come and go. I've worked at Microsoft for 25 years. I've seen many of them. The reason I got excited about generative AI was when I asked the, the, the LLM that I was working with um, to, you know, I asked it like a, a, a trick question, if you will. Um, not, you know, I, find me the the largest country that has red in their flag that is you know above this gps uh, 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 latitude coordinate. yeah coordinate exactly 
and you know and to tell and get and generate a picture for me of the most well-known icon or a, 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 build, a building um, from from that look you know from that and it came back with the Great Wall of China you know um, and like it, the fact that it generated an image of the Great Wall of China um, from you know from you know hundreds or thousands or millions of, of, of image data that, that it was used to fed in like that's when I realized that a the code that I would have had to write, to generate that query across multiple different databases and data sets, um, and then be able to like, like, like it, it just it would it would have been you know days and weeks of of writing code for me to to do something like that, um, and it it just did it like it came back with a with a reasonable answer and when 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 I saw that power, that's when I got excited, and that's when I saw that this wasn't just a fad technology and it wasn't just large large language models. But this ability to bring multimodal models together um, from disparate data sets, like what we would do in programming and have to build out a whole software engineering infrastructure to you know, cross, go across data, uh, data sets and databases and do interjoins and all, all that stuff, like it was just doing it for me. Um, you know, did I get a lot of, a lot of bad information and, and, uh, and uh, uh, hallucinations as, as I was doing my experimentations? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But it was, it was through that learning process that that I realized the, 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 the power there. Um, and you know, that, that, yeah. Thank you. You know, part of generative AI is, as I understand it, is having an, a neural net, you know, having this sort of like brain, if, if we can use analogy on top, on top of this library of information, being able to do things like you just mentioned, you know, like it's not, that wouldn't be a hard ask for us to kind of think through pretty quickly. But like you said, it's, it's different if you're having to, you know, write a mountain of code and querying a whole bunch of different databases versus something that has reasoning and sort of logic and can kind of pull from those different uh, uh, um, databases and have inference um, and context. Um, so is, you know, is generative, it's sort of the advance of generative AI and robotics as simple as like having, you know, a, a, a smarter brain on top of machines? Um, yes, but not, not, not only. Um, it's it's necessary but not sufficient, if you will. Um, the so, so a couple of things there. Um, one of the one of the things we've seen in talking with with partners and customers and 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 folks in the industry is that everybody feels that they need to train the model on their own data sets. And what we found is the models are actually pretty strong, especially mm -hmm. when given grounding, one shot grounding, um, or a good set of prompts to start off with. Okay. Um, and the ability now to pass in you know, data grounding sources, documents, SharePoint libraries, you know, one OneDrive or Google Drive uh, uh, document repositories. Um, it's it's a, that that becomes even more powerful because now you're able to give context to the model, um, and the so so having the brain on top of the machine, like the LLM is and the LMM, a large multimodal model, um, are absolutely acting like a large brain on on the machine or on, on, on multiple machines. Like it's, mm -hmm. you know, it's not, 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 not just one, one, one machine. Um, but on top of that, the ability for not just for the, L, the, the LMM and the LLM to be able to, you know, do the translation, but also do reasoning on that translation. And furthermore, the ability to orchestrate that reasoning across a set of plugins, either through semantic kernel or through lane chain, that orchestration and plugin model now is even more than just the brain on top of the machine. 
that gives the ability to bring context and relevance to the domain space that you're trying to solve. Um, and so, you know, the, the in, you know, Unix for years had a really good model of little languages and tools that did very specific tasks that you could string together through pipes and through the command line. And, you know, it became like a, a state of the art to be able to string together all these things through through pipes in college. Um, you know, we, we went then went to an app world where each app had a very specific function or design um, that, that did one thing or a couple things really, really well. And then you'd use a chain of apps together to accomplish something. Um, we moved for cloud services to this microservice architecture where now these apps are distributed and each each microservice has a very specific function. And what we're gonna see with um, with these brains on machines, as you said, is the ability for that brain to then call out to specific skills, like I said, through lane chain or semantic kernel uh, skills or functions, um, to be able to do very specific tasks and then be able to orchestrate those together. Now, when we talk about those tasks, those tasks can be computer to computer tasks. They can be computer to physical world tasks. They can be human to, 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 to physical world and, and every combination in between. And so what that starts to create is more than just the brain, but the ability to orchestrate functionality. Thank you. Uh, it, let's let's give some basic examples. I think you're doing a, a, a good job kind of explaining the significance and kind of how this works. Um, but let's just talk about basic examples. Like what, what does this allow us to do today? You know, if we were to give like three use cases, maybe maybe including one at home or if, you know, if we have a robot at home or, or something in the workplace, uh, can you talk through some basic use cases? Yeah, um, the, the the robot at home, um, you know, we've got a baby boomer population, which is mm -hmm. which is you know becoming becoming elderly and needs 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 uh, to help help at home or in their in, in the facilities that they live. Um, you know, the the idea or concept of having robots for you know the aging baby boomers is not not a new thing. What right. generative AI is is enabling is the ability to not only have language to text and then text to semantic and and syntactic relevance for tasks for these robots creating a natural user interface for um for for you know for for our elderly but also um allowing for context relevance into the environment that the robot operates so you know before you could have slapped on a cortana or a siri or you know or, or um uh, Alexa onto one of these robots to do the, the the voice communication piece of it and be able to tell the robot like go forward go back but the ability to use the higher level orchestration higher level commands to accomplish a task get me a coke find you know find a place where I can heat something up you know heat up my burrito or heat up you know um, find me my pills the ability to semantically uh, reason, excuse me, uh, yeah, semantically reason across that and actually accomplish that task at a higher level, that's actually where the generative AI is becoming powerful in a consumer experience. Um, another, exper an an another example is in um, utilities inspection. Um, so, you know, we've got, uh, we, we've got power plants and we have, or not, you know, uh, 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 train stations and we have, um, we have oil rigs, all you know, all of which, you know, some are outside, some are indoors, um, that need regular ongoing inspection. The ability to send a robot out or a fleet of robots out and do that inspection and report back—that's not a new concept. 
but the ability to use generative AI to have contextual relevance of what's happening in the environment as the environment A changes, um, because a lot of these things are outside or are in very dynamic and potentially harsh environments like you know in the middle of the ocean, um, the ability to use generative AI to be able to um, get sensory data, going back to the computer vision question you had, um, be able to look at, at you know video feed, sensory data, thermal data, um, IR data as well, uh, depth, de uh, depth data, um, it, it creates a much richer opportunity um, at the sensory level, at the, at the think level, but then finally at the act level. Those are great examples. I really like the, uh, you know, find me my pills as we're thinking about some of the aging generation or something as simple as, hey, you get, me a, get me a drink. Um, um, these are very, you know, basic examples and, uh, you know, do my laundry, mow the lawn, uh, you know, come <laughs> come next in my mind. But, uh, uh, you know, we've been following a lot of the, the cloud providers that, that seem to be all have taken sort of a deep interest in this space, not only at the, um, you know, just LLM level, but also, you know, like, like OpenAI, but also at the robotics level. And you said LMM, you know, the multimodal uh, models were combining these visual models as well that allow these robots to, to see and add that to their to their uh, reasoning, their logic, you know, their perception, their context. Um, you know, we noticed Google is deep in the space with Palmy. Like Meta is deep in the space uh, with their their visual cortex model, artificial visual cortex, and things like Genog and and Sam. And uh, we know some startups um, are are getting in the space as well. Um, but it seems like the cloud providers continue to lead because they have an edge given their 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 cloud and and, and processing power. Um, what is unique as we think about Microsoft's focus in this space? Uh, we know they're a big player in, in their partnership and investment in OpenAI, and we see that rolling out into kind of nearly all the products, it seems like. Um, but, but you know, what's unique about Microsoft's focus in robotics? Yeah, l let me start by saying that I have deep respect for, you know, every one of the, the companies that you, you mentioned, um, whether they're considered a competitor or, or a partner, uh, you know, co-opetition, as, as we like to say in FIRST. Um, you know, every single one of them, Google, Meta, um, Amazon, they're, they're, all, they're all doing good work. And, I, you know, I take a very pragmatic approach, which is this is, this is a situation where all rising tides, or rising tides uh, drive, uh, uh, rise every ship. Um, we, we, we all rise together in this. And the, it's not just the big players, like you said, there's a giant startup ecosystem. Um, and there's also, uh, in addition to, to the startups and the, the, the big cloud providers, there's also a... Um, set of customers and partners that are retooling for this specific space as well. Generative AI generally and generative AI with robotics specifically. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of a lot of companies, a lot of partners of, of you know of ours have come out of the woodwork saying we really want to we want to use this as an opportunity to, you know to take the next step of our digital transformation or digital evolution. Um, what what makes um, what makes the Microsoft offerings you know differentiated, let's say, is that number one, um, our Azure OpenAI is a your own instance of the OpenAI functionality with you know all the connectors that you would expect from, from, from our cloud, from Azure. And the key most important thing, very simply, is Microsoft runs on trust. We are a company that's built on partners and partner ecosystem and working with others. And that 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 running on trust, like that has been something consistent in 25 years. We can talk about things that have changed at the company, but Microsoft runs on trust has been there since day one when I showed up in 1999. And the, the reason I'm bringing that up is because 
the the trust that we 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 have is that your data is your data. You put it into Azure OpenAI, it stays your data. Mm. Only you, your company, and those that you give access to, based you know on, on your behalf, have access to that data. Um, and so that that segmentation, that ability to keep that data your own, uh, uh, along with the the connective tissue to the rest of the Azure services, which you know actually allows something to be done with that with that generative AI. Um, is 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 one of the things that 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 we hold most most dear. The second thing, you know, as as an extension of that, we connect to other products, offerings, and services. Um, you know, uh, I think six years ago, I created a slide that had um, Dynamics, um, the Dynamics Cloud, uh, that had the Azure Cloud, and had the um, uh, at the time it was Office 365, now it's Microsoft 365 Cloud. And I said, robotics is going to have a play in every single one of these. And when we bring all of these together, the world is, you know, we're going to help make the world better. Um, now, every single one of those, those, those clouds and all the products that they represent from, you know, silicon to, to edge devices to uh, 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 infrastructure along 5G and space and orbital, um, all the connective tissue, all the products, everything from Microsoft, going back to that retuning you were talking about, we're building up co-pilots for every single one of our major products. Mm. And the great thing is, it's not just a co-pilot for Microsoft 365 or a co-pilot for Teams or a co-pilot for Excel. But what happens is these co-pilots, because they're orchestrated through semantic kernels, the reason, the, the fact that they're orchestrated through our, our um, substrate, allows for the power of each of those tools and the co-pilots to go with them to talk to the other co-pilots. That's the machine-to-machine mm -hmm. -machine coordination. So you can actually, you know, 30 years ago, uh, object linking and embedding, the ability to take some data from one, you know, from Excel or Word and put it vi vice versa, that was a pretty powerful thing. Right. Um, that's, this is the next big evolution of that. And so um, that's, you know, the, the, the reality is this, if you're already on the Microsoft ecosystem, your, 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 your solutions are only going to get that much better with the Azure OpenAI offering we have. If you're on a, not on Microsoft solutions, we, you know, our Azure OpenAI is interoperable with other, other clouds. There's a, you know, there, there's, there's work that's happening there. Um, it's not, it's not a one, one cloud for all it's, you know, there, there's, there's many reasons why you want to have cloud interop. Um, and on um, yeah so thank you uh that's deep but you know ethics you know cloud interop uh the connectivity across the ecosystem the partnership model those are some of the key things sort of like that stood out to me thanks for, yeah, you, thanks for you 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 brought up ethics jeff um let me let me let me double click on that for for a sec um i talked about trust um one of the places where microsoft has invested very heavily on artificial intelligence is on responsible ai Mm -hmm. um, and you know, there's there's many organizations that are are investing here, but our our foundational um, our foundational commitment to trust and to security is extended to safety and responsible AI and ethics. Um, we have a whole a lot of really good work there, and anything we do in generative AI goes through responsible AI review and and uh, processes, so that. Um, not only can we assure that your data remains your data, but also that it's being, you know, being, we're using AI for, for ethical reasons. Um, as we start talking about uh, generative AI in robotics and automation and physical systems, um, one of the things that I'm specifically looking at along with, with, with my team is how we, whether you want to call it extend or add to or um, 
uh, 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 replicate um, you know, our responsible AI efforts, specifically how they get augmented for, um, for autonomy and physical systems, is a core area where we're focusing a lot of time. Mm -hmm. That goes both from a policy perspective, uh, a procedural perspective, a, uh, you know, a, a uh, ethics perspective, but also from a technical perspective as well. Hello, everyone. My name is Ashish Kapoor, and I'm a co-founder and CEO of Scale Foundations where our mission is to enable safe general robot intelligence. Prior to Scale Foundations, I was the general manager and heading autonomous systems and robotics group at Microsoft Research. Without the ability to sense, reason, and act appropriately, robots are nothing more than a collection of expensive parts. And I have spent last decade thinking and building technologies that infuse intelligence into robots rapidly with a special emphasis on safety. Generative AI is completely changing how we build and program robots. Besides data generation, natural language will be the most common way to affect behavior of a robotic system. You can already see this in our grid platform where natural language can be used to chain robot capabilities so that they can carry out complex missions. I soon expect robots to simulate and synthesize missions before they execute them in the real world as if they are assessing feasibility, safety, efficiency beforehand. Similar to the way we talk to ourselves in order to reason about complex processes, I do think generative AI will render the robots such long horizon reasoning capabilities. I'm Jason Kelly, CEO of Fremont Robotics. For a lot of my career, I've been working at the intersection of hardware and software. And uh, that's, that's what's led me to where I am now. I've led teams building products in those areas uh, at Microsoft, at smaller companies, and as a founder. Uh, products from everything from smart watches to voice control software to greenhouse automation. And now at Fremont Robotics, our team is focused on applying software and AI to the industrial world. And the mission we're centered around is helping people automate those dull, dirty, and dangerous jobs in industry by taking the best in robotics technology and building the software and AI tools around it that are needed to deploy it into industry. So now with this rapid, rapid growth of generative AI, we have an amazing new tool in the toolbox to help us do that. So in, in 10 to 20 years, how do, how do we think generative AI will be used? It is so exciting to think that far ahead. Um, I'll say that generative AI is receiving far more than its share of hype today. So I'm a bit skeptical of a lot of the uh, hype around it, but I do believe we're working here with a foundational technology that is at the very beginning of its real world applications. So we're going to see an explosion in every industry. Um, one area I'm really excited for is bringing Gen AI to industrial research and simulation and data mining. Uh, if you think about predictive maintenance as an example, over the last 10 years or more, we've seen IoT come in, become mature, create a huge growth in operational data and the ability to predict failures and not just respond to them. Uh, and so, so that's brought the development of really powerful digital twins and simulation tools that you can run experiments with. But 
The challenge is those tools are really complex and really difficult to master and get actionable results out of. It takes a lot of time and study to learn the tool set and they're always changing and advancing and it's hard to keep track of them. Uh, so as a, as a domain expert, I think this is where generative AI could help those people really access the, the tools available to them in a much more seamless way. Uh, we'll be able to create intelligent agents that learn the data, learn the tools that are available, and can make decisions about how to apply the tools and really scale up the impact that domain experts can have in uh, analyzing the data available to them. And this is already happening today. With today's models like GPT-4, you can prompt it to use tools to call APIs, generate domain-specific language, and transform the results into input for the next stage. So I'm really excited about being part of pushing that forward and empowering workers on the floor with the power of robotic sensing and data analysis without requiring them to also be roboticists and software engineers and data scientists. I noted that you're speaking uh, next week at the Robotics Application Conference um, on how AI is improving expanding automation. Any additional key points that, that you want to bring up that you're planning to cover from that event next week? Yeah, um, I, you know, I'd like to thank our partner Invia, um, who invited uh, uh, me to, to, to speak at that, at that conference along with their, uh, with, with their CTO, Rand. Mm -hmm. um, so, 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 you know, it was, it was, it was nice of them. Um, the, uh, it, we, to, to be fair, what I'm going to be speaking about there is actually very much aligned with, with, with what we're discussing today. Um, it's 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 where generative AI is going, how it intersects with with uh, autonomy and robotics, where it's going, and um, one of the one of the key points we know that I haven't brought up yet, we haven't brought up yet, but that we do talk about in in, in that talk is when I talk about responsible AI and I talk about the technical aspect of it, not just the policy, not only the policy piece. Um, one of the technical things that we're looking at is how do you work to ensure that what the AI has generated a is not hallucinated. Right. B is accurate and C is not harmful, okay? And there's a whole work stream that we have on, on uh, generative AI for robotics where we're looking at how can we use simulation? How can we use code validation? Um, you know, we're also looking at should we be generating code or data that is then interpreted by, you know, by, by, by end robots or a combination of both? And what are the steps that we can take to drive higher confidence that what the LLM has produced is actually something that is a reasonable solution to the problem, um, and you know the the connect and, and so then we also talk about supervised autonomy and the role of humans in in the loop for for that supervision. Um, you know I, I I had the honor of being at um, at an event at Fresh the other day, and one of the things that we 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 talked about was um the the responsibility to you know that that generative ai um even if the AI, we can drive the confidence from a technical perspective that the ai is producing valid results we still have a huge uh, an aspect to individuals as well as public perception as well as government regulation to ensure that we can show and concretely demonstrate that the AI is, you know, generative AI is doing the right thing before any physical action is taken. 
um, this this is similar to what happened in what's happening in the automotive industry with autonomous right. cars right. Um, and the, you know the, the six levels of autonomy so yeah thank you very applicable you know I think yeah when we start thinking about hallucinations and there's a lot of pushback uh, you know because of the fact that we're, we're generating new things and sometimes it can be inaccurate it can be really creative too creative essentially uh, when you start connecting that that AI uh, model and neural net that, that can have you know some of these differences uh, hallucinations then y- you start to you, you anticipate the, the work you know the worst essentially oh w- what happens when when a big machine hallucinates you know um, but when you couple that with these principles of supervised autonomy, of, of you know, giving, giving all of the context that's needed, you know, the accurate context so that the highly accurate model can, can perform its function. And then if you add in their sensors that are built in for safety on the physical device, you know, I think that that gives a lot of it gives a lot of peace of mind to know, hey, there's there's a plan. And, and those that do this right, like Microsoft is doing you know, where you can be both accurate and, and consider the consequences. It's great to hear there's a lot of thinking happening right now because I think our history with technology, with these sort of devices, you know, has been we move really fast and then we don't, we don't, we don't realize some of the consequences to the kind of humans thereafter. Yeah, l- l- let me, uh, thank you for saying that, first of all. And let me, let me give two, two examples of some power of, 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 of generative AI and robotics that I've, I've personally seen mm-hmm. um, recently. So the, the first one is, um, they, they both happened at a trade show for a customer that, that, okay. that we had, where the customer brought together numerous different partners who were all looking at various different aspects of robotics, autonomy, AI, you know, generative AI, et cetera. And we were, we were honored and, and lucky enough to, to come there. And um, we, uh, I sat down with, with, with somebody from the customer and I showed them a chat session and I said, hey, let's pretend we're flying to the Statue of Liberty, okay? And I said, um, I didn't provide a GPS coordinate. I didn't train the model on anything special. I just said, you are a flight controller and you want to like, you want to fly to the Statue of Liberty, mm-hmm. okay? Um, and so the LLM came back and it filled in a flight plan you know, with GPS coordinates and I went and pulled the GPS coordinate and it was the Statue of Liberty. And I was like, oh my God, that's super cool. Like, um, and the, the reason for that is, you know, it sounds profound that it, that it did that. Um, but the reason for that is because there's clearly somewhere in the training data on the internet, a good correlation between a GPS coordinate of the Statue of Liberty and the Statue of Liberty. So it mm-hmm. found it, you know, very, uh, per, pretty well. Um, Another example was we were, you know, we were in some remote part of, of, of North Carolina. Um, and so I said, you know, uh, uh, you know, fly to fly to the center of the city. And um, the the um, you know, it got close, but it wasn't exact. It was like a mile and a half off. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is because there's no good training data in the data set around this area where we were and the GPS coordinate, mm-hmm. but there was some correlation somewhere in the training. So it was, it was close. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, the, but with, with a, with a uh, semantic kernel plugin that knows how to go to, let's say Bing maps and give a location and programmatically get back from Bing maps, the GPS coordinate. And by using, uh, not saying that you need to go use that semantic kernel, but making that semantic kernel function, uh, skill, excuse me, available, to that capability, the GPS coordinate came back correctly every time. Okay, and the so so part of you know there, there's been a lot of a lot of uh, 
work on this concept of prompt crafting, creating better and better prompts to help guide the LLM. But the ability to also, um, along with prompt crafting, um, the ability to ground the data through callouts to other systems mm-hmm. um, is going to be is going to be pretty powerful. Another example. Uh, I would just say I would assume that you know over time the prompts become more more and more human, more and more natural because the the knowledge base and these connected ecosystems are, you know, make it that much easier to to perceive and understand. And so, it seems like we, we're talking a lot about prompting these days. But I think the reality is the models keep getting better, they keep getting more data, they keep getting more connections, and then. You know, you said it's the universal translator. You know, you know, human, human to human, human to machine. And I would envision that we don't have to get too crafty uh, as crafty in the future. So lo- 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 it's perfect you said that. So let me give it another another example. It's a quick one. Um, we there happened to be a company um, at this this the same trade show. It was it was an outdoor field event, and. Um, uh, who happen to have drones, and they their their drones do just ins- they they do inspection. They this is not a company that does like control systems of drones. They use commercial off the shelf drones, and so I went to them and I said, hey, you know, you, have you done any L- and you, uh, ever used a generative AI or LLMs? And the guy was like, yeah, I've, I played around with ChatGPT for, and I was like, let's do a quick experiment. Um, do you have the ability that if I gave the drone a set of GPS coordinates, that it would be able to fly that path? And he was like, "Yeah, we we happen we happen to be able to do that with the with the systems that we use," and so um, I you know we sat down and in forty five minutes we were able to get their drone to f- take off and fly a figure eight pattern in the sky and co- you know uh, uh, and and then land forty five minutes from not having anything to the drone actually flying that. Um, the reason that was interesting is because when we tried, and this goes to your point about prompting and, and getting to nat- you know very very natural language, um, we were using the term you know draw figure eight, draw figure eight, and it kind of was doing it, but not exactly. And so we asked the the LLM, do you know what an infinity sign is? And it was like, yes, I do. And we said, plot the GPS coordinates within a you know 500 feet of a of an infinity sign, and it did it. It was mm-hmm. able to do it, and so it like it's 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 a understanding some of those little nuances, but then being able to like in the future the ability to say a infinity sign or a figure eight like it'll it'll just figure that out, and right. so there's there's these little nuances that really unlock the the power of what these LLMs can do. Amazing. Just a couple examples. We are seeing rapid advances in AI, in particular deep learning that over the last few years has had a profound impact on how we build robots. Similar to many other subfields of AI, be it computer vision, natural language or speech, foundation models, which are large pre-trained models, are the key to rapid intelligence in robots. Such pre-trained models provide a great starting point for many different kinds of robots and applications and reduces the effort that used to be months long to merely a few hours. But training such pre-trained models are non-trivial for robots because unlike text and images, there exists no such web-scale data to mine. Plus gathering such large quantities of data is quite cost prohibitive. So enter generative models, specifically our ability to synthesize artificial robot data with appropriate dynamics Sensor modalities and various environmental processes unlocks the key to foundation models for robots. And furthermore, multimodal nature of this problem 
also means that sensing, robot action, and language are also intertwined. And this leads us to a unique combination of technologies that is completely changing how we build intelligence into robots. Listeners are welcome to try out the alpha release of our platform. And this is accessible from our website, scaledfoundations.ai. And various scenarios ranging from wildfire mitigation with autonomous systems to infrastructure inspection with robots are implemented. Fremont Robotics is building end-to-end -end solutions that put mobile robots to work in industrial settings. And we're currently really focused on inspections and maintenance, data collection and analysis. Um, every day there's thousands of industrial engineers doing manual inspections in factories and oil plants and chemical processing plants and many more. Um, a lot of these are routine busy work. Um, a lot of them are in dangerous places or hard to get to places. And some of this has been automated with IoT sensors connected to a network, but those those aren't everywhere. They can be really expensive to outfit in a large facility. So with mobile robots like wheeled rovers and drones and even four-legged robot dogs, um, they can carry sensors everywhere they need to be and acquire data like photos, and videos, and thermal readings, and even gas detection or acoustic imaging. Um, Taking these robots and putting them into practice is really hard. Today, you, you have to be a roboticist and a software engineer, and you still have to do your day job as an industrial engineer all to get this done. And that's where we're leveraging Gen AI to, to really make robots accessible to the domain experts at these facilities. Um, it, we're putting it to work in a three stages. It's first, acquiring the data uh, then understanding and analyzing and reporting on the data. And then lastly, taking action on the analysis of that data. So the first stage is uh, putting the robots to work and giving them a mission to navigate along a path, to transport its sensors to the right place and acquire data. And today that's often done by manually driving the robot around, and recording a route, or placing waypoints carefully on a map. Um, we're using GPT-4 today and giving it the context of a facility and its layout and floor plan and all of the equipment and information about the robots and the sensors that are available. And given that context and a simple command from someone, it can generate an optimal patrol route and collect all that sensor data and bring it back to the system. We're also using GPT in the next stage to let users ask questions about the data. Um, a question like, what's the 95th percentile temperature reading each day from pump 27? And to, today that often requires some complex query language or a lot of trial and error by a uh, user who does not want to be a data scientist. And with the language model, if you think of that as one step in a pipeline, you can really break this, break this friction down. The user asks a question, the model generates a query and sends it to a time series database. Data is returned, and then the model in turn generates a really useful report from the data. And 
the user is not worrying about how to get the data, but how their question has been answered and what the next step is. And down the road, the next stage we're working towards is just taking action about that data. I see this turning into a, a really tight feedback loop uh, that's generating actions and insights, and then using that data to, in a feedback loop to self-optimize, identify areas that need to be inspected more often, or suggest cost-saving measures or ways to improve efficiency. Um, so what we're working towards, in other words, is using generative AI, not to just automate everything, but to take human knowledge and expertise as its input and just leverage it exponentially. So as we think to the future, you know, I think those that have been in robotics, you've been in it a long time. We've been in it long enough to know that, you know, it's been frustrating to see how slow things move sometimes as well. You know, and, and robots have historically been in cages, you know, kind of separated from humans. But we all realize, like, there's this confluence of things that are happening that, that really are, are changing the game. Do you see generative AI being the game changer for kind of human-robot integration, you know, in the next five to ten years? Like, do you think that's going to be the unlock for us to have the acceleration we kind of anticipated ten years ago but really haven't seen yet today? Yeah, um, I for sure it will be one of them, um, one of the major ones. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want to have the hubris to say that it will be the, you know, the, the, the one ring to rule them all. Um, but it, it will absolutely be a game changer. Um, I, I like to think that right now it is the game changer, but I don't think long term. I think there will be other other technology advancements as well. Um, the, the, the note on robots being in cages, um, the reason that was done is because a lot of these robots operated open, open loop, okay? They didn't have much sensory and, and, and much, uh, uh, much sensory um, understanding and perception of the physical world, nor mm -hmm. were they operating with that to, to ensure that, that the humans around them were safe. And even if it did have that, the, you know, the, the decision, the proper decision was, let's not take any risk and right. let's ensure that the humans are kept safe because that's job number one, yep. okay? Um, and so I, I I frankly think that we will continue to have a future where some robots are in cages, like, you know, uh, because that that's the that's the right thing to do. Yep. Um, there, there will be, you know, especially as we move outdoors with robots for, you know, energy inspection, um, as, as I talked about before, wildland firefighting as well, um, the necessity to operate in, you know, environments that are non-deterministic, that are dynamic, and even in some cases contested. If you're working in a, in a wildland firefight and mm -hmm. you've got 5G connectivity, but the fire, um, you know, causes the 5G connectivity to go out, you're, you're in a, a hostile environment created right. by the, by, by, you know, by mother nature, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, and so the, the, the ability to, for generative AI, to at least give us the option to make the decision as humans when we want to move the robot out of a cage or when we believe we can use sensory closed loop perception um, and and uh, and, and understanding of the environment to you know have um, have robots more in contact and working with humans you know that that for sure is going to happen um, as, as as an example the the Boston Dynamics uh, spot robot. You know, I've been I've been using it at work, and I'm you know I, 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 I for a few years now. Um, I'd seen videos of it before I got my hands on it, sure. and the thing that I'm continuously most impressed about with it is the how it's implemented, 
hierarchical control within the system. Um, although there's no generative AI within the, 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 the spot, the fact that it has a low-level controller to make sure that it can stably walk, okay, and, you know, and, and navigate and move on the terrain that it's walking on, whether it's indoors and outdoors, and it has a safety system within it that if it gets near a human or a wall, you know, it's got a built-in buffer that doesn't matter how fast it's running, right. it will stop before it, it hits. And so, uh, a bit, uh, before it hits a wall or what have you. And so we're mm -hmm. able to, you know, drive it and operate it um, in a way where we can still feel safe around it, mm -hmm. but we can also, you know, use generative AI concepts, et cetera, um, you know, other, other techniques on it to understand where the technology can go with safety systems underneath it. So kind of kind of uh, an example of, of moving out of cages. Great example. Uh, how, how do you see generative AI evolving, you know, in the next five years? You know, they, they, we, we talk about Bill Gates once said, you know, hey, we, we underestimate what happens in, in 10 years and we overestimate what happens in two years. But I, w I would think of that more like months with generative AI, you know, like we, we might overestimate what can happen in the next couple of months. We underestimate what can happen in 10 months. Um, and it's just hard to keep up with how fast things are moving. Um, so how do you see things continuing to evolve uh, from where we are today? Yeah, um, it's, it's a fantastic question. So a, a couple of things. Um, I, I fundamentally believe, and I use the example with the, with the spot robot, that um, robotics and, and AI is really a system of systems, hierarchical control systems from the lowest level built into silicon to the highest level you know, operating in the cloud or the multi-cloud. Um, where, you know, the fact that generative AI we've already shown can do certain levels of orchestration, can do certain levels of mission, of, of, of planning of what a robot's mission is to be, whether it's an inspection scenario or, you know, a flight controller, as we, we, we had talked about. Um, these are, these are all, all examples of the same thing. It's all, it's all missions for, for a robot to execute. And um, as, as such, uh, as these systems are able to communicate to other systems, as we've talked about before, as humans and robots are able to work better together because of generative AI, what you're going to see is not just multiple LLMs and LMMs talking to each other via co-pilot interfaces or you know backend semantic hurdle um, uh, plugins. What you're also going to see is systems of systems start to get formed where you have a heterogeneous ecosystem of, you know, let's call it a fleet of robots and their generative AI, and another fleet of robots and their generative AI, and they'll be able to talk to each other as well. And so this combination of, you know, robot orchestration, robot mission planning, and having heterogeneous fleets of robots and humans being able to work together, like humans do certain things well. We don't do, or we don't like to do dull, dirty, and and dangerous work, and we shouldn't exactly. be doing some of that work. Right. Robots are really good at some of that stuff. Yep. But on the other hand, you know, picking up a cup and drinking it some some coffee out of it, robots are not very good at that. And it might be a while before they've gotten better, but it might be a while mm -hmm. before they get better at that. And so, robot, you know, there's there's plenty of, of of examples of robots and humans working together on a one to one basis, a one to many mm -hmm. basis, or a many to many basis. And that's that's where generative AI that that is. If there's one thing that generative AI is unlocking, that's what it is. Thank you. You know, generative AI, I think one of the interesting things for, for human beings is it also can be kind of playful and creative and fun. There's a creation aspect that we haven't really seen with machines, where it's creating visuals or it's, you know, it's creating poems or it's, you know, creating uh, stories. 
And when you start connecting generative AI into machines, um, do you think that that will translate into you know robots and machine having a, a playful or creative or fun aspect to the extent that they are a robot? Yeah, I I do. I think there's going to be um, a few a few different you know work streams or lanes that'll that'll happen there. Um, the the first one is you know Sony tried to bring Ibo to market a couple times um, to have your your you know robotic dog. Mm-hmm. I actually think that now we're closer to having a robotic dog or a robotic pet mm-hmm. with generative AI. Um, than ever before, and you know that goes right into play and creativity and fun, and you know we, we talked about the 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 elderly and the, the the baby boomers and and robotics there, but also for you know for young the young like I've always had the dream of having a, a robot buddy who played video games with me and you know talked trash to me you know made made made, made fun of the game <laughs> and like just just was somebody to play with when I couldn't when I didn't have somebody else to play with I was a you know latchkey kid growing up and mm-hmm. so probably that that that's where that comes from. Um, but I'll, I'll, you know, so that that that's one. The second one is the creative and fun. There's there's two two work streams there that are both equally important. The first one is you know this, the, the the generative AI is being trained on on data, and I don't want to take a, a stance or a position on um, on the ownership or the ethics of where that where that data is coming from. That's a that's a great thing to discuss. I don't think it's in the purview of this specific podcast, but it's something that you know back to our responsible AI, Microsoft mm-hmm. takes very seriously. Um, yep. The other side of that is um, the technical aspects of being able to do creative and fun things. And like, we're already seeing robots do art, okay? Actually physically paint, um, you know, what, what, what Dolly or, or other systems are, are coming up with. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you know, I, I just saw an article about um, a generative AI generating a robot that can move that a human would have never come up with before, like the kinematics behind it and and the way it worked. Um, it was a totally interesting story, um, and so so this like the fact that we're showing creativity in the digital world, like we as humans know how to bring that creativity into the physical world, mm-hmm. and the first thing that's going to happen is robots are we're going to wire the robots up to mimic that. Okay, the ability to move a paintbrush or you know three D print something, um, you know it's I mean it's 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 a from a technical perspective it's a really cool thought you know thought experiment that a generative ai can come up with a mechanical object or a mechanical system even mm-hmm. that it can then 3d print based on a human's prompt that they they created and the human watching that that thing that to be printed is is what's to be expected and what what ai is coming up with is you know what generative AI is coming up with is not what what humans would normally come up with. Right. Um, one of one of my absolute favorite things about being a volunteer mentor and coach with students is I constantly look at the solutions that they come up to to problems that they have, and I go, "Wow, I've been a professional engineer for fifteen years, or twenty years, or twenty five years, and I would have never come up with that solution." And wow, is it elegant and smart and works like, and and it's that type of innovation where we want. The machines with ethics and responsibility um, and safety and security in mind um, to to be able to take a creative you know a, a, a creative direction and a fun direction. Thank you. Two other questions before we kind of wrap up. Uh, one is you know I've interviewed a lot of serious roboticists, you know CTOs, founders of other uh, other uh, robot startups and companies, and you know one of the patterns I, I discovered was that you know they all kind of believe that. The advancement in robotics uh, will kind of help humans be human, and 
I think they mean, hey, they'll unlock some of our more creative, innovative, kind of social, meaningful the aspect of ourselves, the higher order of ourselves. Um, but do you have any thoughts on that? Do you also believe that? Um, because I think a competing line of thought is here that, you know, if robots can be creative too, then is, is that competitive in nature? Is that, is that just now something more like us that we can trust in? Um, that we can work with, that we that can help us versus something that's been a bit frustrating if we think about how long it takes to get, you know, robots to do what we want them to do. Yeah, it's it, it's interesting that you, you, as you were asking the question, you were you were at, you 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 talked about trust and the ability um, both in under two breaths. And I think that's that's exactly <laughs> right. Um, so the the I do absolutely believe that robots will help scale humanity. Okay. Um, they will help scale humanity at the global level. They will help scale humanity at an individual level and in in groups or or you know uh, uh, of, 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 uh, collections of, of of humans as well. I believe that robots are going to make uh, uh, enable humans to take on less dull, dirty, and dangerous jobs and go more to what we're good at, which is higher cognitive thinking and helping with the orchestration and um, and 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 uh, collaboration with with the robots. So rather than you know when I work on a project, grabbing a screwdriver and you know drive you know driving a a a, a, a screw or, or uh, to you know to, to fasten something, maybe I'll have a robotic co-pilot who's helping helping me with that. Mm -hmm. um, you know with with the proper safety and and ethics and responsibility and security that that we've talked about before. Um, you know going back to the question on on on. Uh, on creativity, like I don't think it's an or. I don't think it's that robots are creative or humans are creative. I think that combination between the both is going to help humans be more human. Humans work with other humans. Um, at the end of the day, robots and the the generative AI that powers them is a tool to make us better as humanity, better as a people. Um, and we we have to think through, and we are thinking through, um, and we have a lot more work to do. On the responsibility and the ethics, um, and what you know, what all those th those things means. There are great theoretical problems about what you know, going all the way back to Isaac Asimov and even further on on what happens in various different situations. They're all good thought exercises. They need to happen, um, and the 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 ability for humans to you know to to be more human is is like the is the reason that we're you know I've got this 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 innate. Um, pursuit of of robotics is because I feel that that's going to unlock human potential like nothing else has been able to unlock before. To to me, like the investment in robotics, my you know my entire career, even before robotics was was a key buzzword, um, is because I believe that robotics is the true intersection of all technology to power to empower humanity. Safety in robotic systems is a fairly important issue. Deep AI or deep machine learning, due to its complex mathematical design, does not yet provide any guarantees. So if we are using deep machine learning as a foundation for robot intelligence, the big question is, how do we make these systems safe? Safety is a loaded word, and depending upon who you talk to in the AI community, you'll get a different answer. But I personally believe that most of the current approaches in safety are no more than a band-aid approach where engineers and researchers are making post hoc changes to the system to address corner cases. Grounds Up AI that emphasizes safety 
is a holy grail that we aspire towards. Additional mechanisms such as responsible AI licenses is also an important way to address and mitigate the issues that we are also looking into. With the exploding usage of generative AI, there are some serious ethical concerns I see. Uh, there's many out there. Uh, with robotics and hardware, more specifically, safety really takes on a lot more importance than in a lot of other applications of Gen AI. You've got robots navigating the physical world and manipulating the world around them, often in close proximity with humans. So there's already a really high bar for designing safety into the system. Um, and there's already a lot of automation out there, but today's automation tends to be quite deterministic. Um, and the safety standards and the safety validations are designed um, to manage risk in a really deterministic system like that. Um, but Gen AI comes in and adds a bit of unpredictability to it from the human perspective. So we have to be very careful about designing safety controls that work with that. Um, and there's, there's some organizations like ASTM working hard on that to stay abreast of these, uh, these new developments and evolve the safety standards appropriately. But I think the ethical concern here is how much control do you cede to the model and how much do you still take advantage of human judgment in the loop? And as, as a technologist, it's really tempting and kind of common to push the boundaries there. But with human safety in the mix, we need to keep a break. We need to keep our foot on the brake about that and keep safety at the forefront of what we're doing here. It's interesting if we think about how fast um, ChatGPT has moved. You know, we have three billion people that have now experienced that and and realize there's something special here. Um, I think as we make that the universal connector to machines and have machines truly be smart versus, you know, just have an input and an output uh, and have them be able to assist us or collaborate with us, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a believer as well that, uh, you know, the, the future is a higher order of humanity. And I think that's hard at the individual level when we think about change. But if we think about the macro level of like what computers have done, uh, where we had a similar fear, um, you know, to advance humanity or to solve diseases, uh, to, to improve humanity, um, I'm, I'm definitely with you. You've been, you brought up ethics a few times. And as we think about the future, we, you know, part, part of the intent of this podcast is to think about how do we, how do we design the future with more intent and think about, you know, the, the problems and the ethics um, and how do we start taking more, um, more, how do we have more emphasis essentially to, to focus in those places that, that will, that will make, decide whether that technology is, is, is good or bad because technology can have both sides. I just wanted to ask you if you have any other thoughts around ethics and sort of designing the future with intent, especially as it relates to robotics and generative AI. Yeah, um, I, I've got a few. Um, so the, the first one is, um, you know, we have a responsibility to not just think of the, the when we think about a what generative AI can do or what robotics can do or any new technology for that matter. Quantum computing is another, another good example. Um, 
we have the responsibility as we bring these technologies to market um at to to not even to market but like to to the community like even when they're in early experimentation we have the obligation to think through what we call the harms the not just the positive outcomes but also like you know uh, red teaming is another example um of what what could go wrong what are the negative effects what are the what are the abuse ways that this this can be used and looking at how we can take pre-action before the model you know before let's get in the case of generative ai um to ensure that you know only certain valid inputs can go into an llm maybe even use llms to to to, to do that but then also as we've, we've talked a little bit about using simulation and validation um you know verify various verification methods to um ultimately provide information to a human to make a decision from a supervised autonomy perspective if um if what we're trying to do with the llm should should be done or can be done and working through um both both sides of that as well as you know put, putting the llm in the proper rails for for the or, or whatever the technology is um though th 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 those are some of the responsibilities in addition um, you know, we as Microsoft are a company that, really, you know, as I said, runs on trust. We run on partnership. Um, our, you know, one of the things I'm most proud of is the the global scale of partnership that that we have. Um, and as part of that, knowing what our our partners and customers intend to use with some of these some of these technologies is is important. Um, you know, the 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 risks can and will be real. And we need to we need to be we need to be ahead of that and thinking through. Love it. it. Well, Dan, thank you so much for being with us today. I there was a lot of amazing um, insights that you shared, a lot of uh, nuggets I actually want to re revisit personally. Uh, being also someone who's super passionate about uh, robotics and, and technology and the ethics of it. So appreciate your time and investment in in today's conversation. The future Jeff, of podcasts so is brought to you me. by Fresh um, Consulting. You know, we've, we've, we've to find out more about how we pair design and technology together to shape the future, visit us at freshconsulting.com. Make sure to search awesome. for the future of an Apple Podcast, Spotify, and, and Google and Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any of our future episodes. And on behalf of our team here at Fresh, thank you for listening.